God that comes to us today comes in the mouth of Peter, who says to Jesus, Far be it from you, Lord, this shall never happen to you. You may be seated. Grace, mercy, and peace to you from God our Father, from our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. I'm going to say a word, a title, a name, and then I want you to think of three descriptions of that. Just put it in your mind like you talk. Word in your mind. What three words first come to mind when I say this? Me. God. Put in mind. Y'all have at least three? Who would like to share? What is one, two, three, or three? Holy, powerful, loving. I have a new One more volunteer. Okay. Love, salvation, and grace. Right, so you probably came up with some of those, maybe many, many others, right? Um, a recurring one that people often think of is, is as you said, uh, High, holy, powerful, you know, and then loving and good. Those two things that kind of, they're different. God's love, His goodness, and on the other hand, His power, His glory, right? Well, when you put these things together, power and glory, or power and love, or goodness and power, I think those two things, goodness and power, you put those two things together and you mix it with our experience, and we have a problem, right? It's the problem of suffering. The problem of, you could say it's the problem of evil. How can God be all powerful and all good and yet we still experience so much suffering? Well, I'd like to share today. Do you have that question? Do other people have that question that you know? I think most people in this world have that question and frame it in all kinds of different ways. So we won't talk about those, but you can imagine those things that are in your mind that you frame it or others that you love to frame. Uh, so I'd like to just share uh, four things people respond to. Well, three, three ways and then a way that God responds to this problem. Um, the first is, and I was thinking about logic, so I'm going to run with my logic here. The first one is that people remove themselves from God because of suffering. People remove themselves from God because of suffering. What do you call someone who has removed themselves from God? It's all right. You don't think the most extreme would be an atheist, right? Someone who doesn't believe in God. And you could just have a spectrum, right, of struggle there. But one person who removes themselves from God, uh, they deny the existence of God because of suffering, right? Uh, imagine a conversation you have with someone like that. Maybe it's yourself on some days. But someone else, let's say you're having this conversation, and they say, you know, I can't believe in God because of this problem of suffering. And you might say, what's the problem? Well, isn't it a problem for you? Well, I don't know, what, what, what's the problem? And they'll tell you, well, you believe in an all-powerful God and an all-good God, and yet there's still suffering. If God wanted to stop, if God is good, he'd want to stop it, right? And if God is powerful, he would stop it, but he hasn't. So therefore, you can't believe in God. Right? Have you heard that? Of course. Now, when you're having that conversation with that person, one thing you can do is just go with it and just say, okay, let's just say for a moment that you're right. Because of, of this argument, 
because of the problem of suffering, God doesn't exist. Okay? So say that to them, okay. God doesn't exist. Let's go with your argument. And then you can ask them, well, has, does that solve the problem of suffering? And they're like, no. There's still suffering out there. Is there still evil out there? Yes, there's still evil out there. Now, so the thing, my thought on this is like, okay, um, this is not a God problem as much as it is a human problem. If you take God out of this problem of suffering, because he doesn't exist, you still have the problem, right? All you've done is removed one possible solution. God is a possible solution. If you say he doesn't exist, you still have the problem, but you don't have, if you've gotten rid of one solution. But the other thing you could just say to them is like, well, if you believe that there is evil, how can you say that if there is no God? Right? Because if there isn't a God, then there is no moral, no goodness that can be violated that causes the problem of evil. All right, that's philosophy class. I know that's part of our lives, but that's the first thing. We, we can respond by removing ourselves from God because of suffering. Right? That's the first one that we, many, many people interact with. Second one is uh, removing is removing God from suffering because of ourselves, right? Whereas the first one might, it wants to deny the existence of God. This one wants to prop up God, right? So this is removing God from suffering. So he has nothing to do with it, right? This is, uh, there's suffering on one hand, and then there's God on the other. They're as far apart as can be, right? Uh, God has nothing to do with suffering. If there's suffering, it's your fault, darn it. I forget the name of the, the general, but you, you should probably tell me. He said, uh, he said this, when I was teaching, a, a neighbor teacher had this on the wall, and I don't know what you think of it, but he said, it was this general, he said, sure life is tough, but it's even tougher if you're stupid. Uh, anyone remember who says that? I can't remember. Uh, okay. So yeah, sure life is tough, but it's even tougher if you're stupid. Well, in other words, yeah, it's hard, but it's your fault, right? Um, not that any of us are stupid, right? Ever, right? Not that any of us ever lack wisdom and do stupid things that get us into trouble. Well, of course. Right, so that's one thing that you can do. You can say, you know, we can remove God from suffering. And we can prop up God. So let's say that someone someone passes away before their time, whatever that means. An argument that props up God is to say, well, God just needed another angel in heaven, which is complete malarkey. That is totally not true. Or someone else is going through a really hard time, and in your effort to prop up God, you say, well, it's all going to work out in the end. Which may be true, but not helpful, right? We do that all the time. We want God to kind of like, oh, you don't believe in God. Let me help God to kind of stand up on his own. He doesn't need it. That's us removing God from suffering. That's what we see with Peter. If you look at the gospel reading today, the words of Peter... Uh, he, he has just been pronounced the most blessed man in the history of the world, right? Look at the gospel text. Peter is the most blessed man in the history of the world. And he says, last week's reading, Jesus says to him, who do you all say that I am? And the answer was, uh, like basically the, the disciples didn't know. And then it came to Peter, it was his turn to speak, and he says, you, Jesus, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. Um, no one knew that. No one knew yet who Jesus was. But Peter knew it. And Jesus told him last week in our reading, he says, Jesus said to him, Blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. He says, Simon, you are blessed. And he goes on and, and says to Simon Peter, I tell you, 
and you are Peter, which means rock. On this rock, I will build my church. I believe that that rock is the confession. You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And then he goes on and, and tells them that he has the keys of the kingdom to set sinners free and to warn those who lock themselves into hell. Anyway, so on this week, Jesus continues this and he says, right after that, this, this blessing of Peter, you know who I am. Well, you don't really know who I am because it says, from that time Jesus began to show his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things. And then Peter pulls him aside. He's a fool over there. I've got to set you straight, my rabbi. And he, and he says, far be it from you, Lord. He's got to go suffer. The Messiah will not die. The Messiah will rule with an iron fist forever. And so he tries to set Jesus straight. He says, this shall never, never happen to you. How did it go for Peter? He just called it a nice name by Jesus. Satan. Adversary, enemy. He's taking the role of Satan. Uh, we could talk a lot about that, but we won't. For today's purposes, Peter is trying to prop up God. He's trying to remove suffering from God. Okay? Third thing that people might do is instead of remove, they attack. Uh, they attack evil to God because of suffering. And this is, I think, we all do this. We look and say, God, how could you let this happen? You ever think that? You always think that? God, how could you let this happen? Of course we do. We uh, attach evil to God because of suffering. And the Bible doesn't brush this over. This is the human experience. Let me show you two places in Scripture. One is by this guy that we can't pronounce. His name is Habakkuk or Habakkuk or something. Uh, and he says this in his vision. He has like three chapters. And he starts off, and he is attaching evil to God. Listen, he says, oh, this is how he starts. <clears throat> his, his prophecy Oh Lord, how long shall I cry to you for help, and you will not hear? Or cry to you, there's violence, and you will not save. Why do you make me see iniquity, and why do you idly look at all this wrong? He's attacking evil to God. Solomon did this too. Uh, see if it sounds like modern day philosophy. I saw all the oppressions that are done under the sun, and behold, the tears of the oppressed. And they had no one to comfort them. On the side of their oppressors, there was power. And there was no one to comfort them. And I thought, the dead who are already dead are more fortunate than the living who are still alive. But better than them both is the one who has not yet been born and seen all this evil. The scriptures don't ignore the problem of suffering, the problem of evil. Here, we see Habakkuk, we see Solomon attacking evil to God. And we might say rightly, the psalmists do this all the time. You know, in some churches they have praise bands, right? They have praise bands. You don't have a praise band. Uh, you ever have a, see a church that has a lament band? No? You, you should look for one of them, right? Look for a church with a lament band. Lament is the crying out, the heartbreak, the, the human suffering that we all encounter, and the psalms is the prayer book of the church, the, the book that Jesus prays, and you think there's lament in it? It's all over the place. How long, O oh Lord, will you wait? Let me show you Psalm 10. One, one verse in Psalm 10, it says this, Why, O oh Lord, do you stand so far away? Why do you hide yourself in times of trouble? Right? Attacking evil to God. God, why? 
And then the ultimate place, my God, this is Psalm 22, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from saving me from the words of my groaning? Oh my God, I cry by day, but you do not answer, and by night, but I find no rest. Are these psalmists brushing to save it here? Is he brushing over the problem of suffering? To say it doesn't just know. It's the heartbreak that they know and feel. So we can see that we can attach evil to God. We can accuse God. So where is God in all this? Some of us deny God. Some of us prop up God. Some of us accuse God. Well, where is God in all of this? Well, that's what our, that's what Jesus tells us today. That God does the unfathomable and he attaches himself to suffering. He attaches himself to pain. This is what Jesus says. Jesus began to show his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things. And must be killed. And on the third day he raised. And of course they didn't understand it because how does it make sense that God attaches himself to suffering? Is it his fault? No. It is not his fault. We are the, as the, as Patton would say, the stupid ones, right? We've gotten ourselves into this mess. This earth is cursed because of us. That's where we are, but that's not where God leaves us. Jesus comes and attaches himself to suffering. We have a God who's different than the gods you might read about in other places. We have a God who takes on human flesh, takes on our flesh and blood. And we have something unfathomable, and evangelicals won't say this, but we have a God who died. We have a God who, for a while, was dead. We have a God who had a tomb who breathed his last. We have a God who was forsaken by his Father. And you know this, and this is why you're here. We have a God, as it says, Paul says this in Acts chapter 20, uh, who, who obtained us by the blood of God. you say that? Does God have blood? Does God have blood? Yes. Our God has blood. Jesus Christ has blood and he has poured it out to obtain us. And you might say, well, that's really good. I know Jesus died for my sins. He rose again that I might be forgiven. And you are right. That gives us reason to have joy and assurance in this life. But the problem is you still have that problem of suffering, don't you? You still have it, even though that in the end, it will all be made right. But you're not in the end yet. Right? You're not there. Right? You know how hot it is right now. You're like, okay, half of that. Hurry up, because it's like 98. Maybe I'm the only one hot here. Um, you're still suffering, right? You're still suffering. Well, does God just look down from heven and understand like, cognitively that we suffer? He just knows it in his mind. Well, yes. Hebrews 2 and Hebrews 4 tells us that Jesus knows all of our temptations. But something else is that he still, in some mystery, he still suffers with us. And you might say, what? He just suffered once. He died once. That was over. No, he still suffers with us. I can show you a lot of places, but one of my favorites is, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Right? Why are you kicking against the goats? Why are you hurting the church. Right? Remember when Jesus showed up on, on the road to Damascus and he knocked him off his uh, knocked Saul off his horse, right? Blinding light and he speaks to him and he says, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? He doesn't say why are you persecuting my church? 
my people, right? When you arrest those people, when you throw them in jail, when you kill them, you are, I am there with them. I suffer with them. You are persecuting me. I can show you other places. But Jesus stooped and stays with us in our suffering. Thanks be to God. And then, in a mystery which I cannot fathom, he calls us to follow him. And take up our cross. His forgives us, redeems us. Our cross conforms us to him. It includes us into him. And I'll end with this. Romans chapter 6 says, says this. Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were buried, therefore, by baptism, into death, in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in the newness of life. And this point. For if we have been united with him in a death like this, we shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection of him. If you are a believer in Jesus, you are united to Jesus. Your suffering is his, is his suffering, and it will come to an end. He bears it, he holds it, and he will wipe away every tear. In the name of Jesus. Amen. I invite you to stand and confess your faith.